specialist from the British auction house Christie's, who will be selling it in May. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning. I hope you had a great day off yesterday. This is Peter Lewis back with your business and finance news on Money Talk on Radio 3. The Times 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday the 6th of April. Shanghai on Tuesday reported a surge in local asymptomatic cases as nearly the entire city of 25 million people remains in lockdown. The city reported 268 local symptomatic cases and 13,086 local asymptomatic cases, including 6,788 from Pudong. That's a 48% increase from the previous day. The US, EU and G7 group of nations are set to impose broad new sanctions on Russia after President Macron accused Russia of war crimes and President Joe Biden called for a war crimes trial. The U.S. will ban all new investment in Russia. The EU proposal, which will need backing from the 27 member states, will include a ban on Russian coal. Germany said it would temporarily take control of a German unit of Russian state-owned Gazprom, which operates some of Germany's largest natural gas storage facilities in a bid to secure gas deliveries. The US Treasury said Tuesday that it will not permit any dollar debt payments to be made from Russian government accounts at US financial institutions. The move is designed to heap further pressure on Moscow and force it into a choice between using dollar reserves held in its own country to pay bond investors, spending new revenue or going into default. Federal Reserve Governor Lyle Brainard, who is awaiting Senate confirmation to become the next vice chair, said yesterday that the Fed will begin a rapid reduction of its $9 trillion balance sheet at its next policy meeting in May, and it's preparing to take stronger action when it comes to raising interest rates in order to bring down inflation, suggesting support for delivering half-point rate rises at forthcoming meetings. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Iris Pang at ING Wholesale Banking, Jack Sue from Credit Suisse, and on the phone from the USA, Tony Nash of Complete Intelligence. Money Talk on On Wall Street overnight, US stocks have fallen following Fed Governor Lau Brainard's comments suggesting support for 50 basis point rate increases and a rapid reduction in the Fed's balance sheet. The S&P 500 fell 1.3% to 4,525. The Nasdaq Composites lost 2.3% to 14,204. The Dow slipped 281 points to 34,641. Shares of Twitter rose 2% overnight following their 27% jump on Monday after it was revealed that Elon Musk had bought a 9.2% stake in the company. Earlier today, Twitter announced that the company will appoint Musk to the company's board of directors. And shortly afterwards, Elon Musk tweeted that he looked forward to making significant improvements to Twitter in the coming months. In Europe, the stock 600 index rose 0.2%. London's FTSE 100 climbed three quarters of a percent. Hong Kong and mainland China markets were closed yesterday for the Qingming Festival. In the commodities markets, oil prices fell slightly with Brent crude settling down 0.8% at $106.64 a barrel. 
Futures linked to Europe's wholesale coal prices rose more than 10% to $290 a tonne after European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the EU would impose an embargo on Russian coal. Gold is down half a percent at $1,922 an ounce. And following Leo Brainard's remarks, the sell-off in U.S. Treasuries accelerated. The yield on the 10-year bond surged 16 basis points to an almost three-year high of 2.55%, the biggest daily move in two years. And the yields on pol- policy-sensitive two-year notes also rose, jumping 10 basis points to 2.53%. In the currency markets, the US dollar index is up half a percent. The euro is trading at $1.09. The buck sat 123.5 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.30.75 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 24 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.38 versus the dollar in offshore markets this morning. And Bitcoin is trading 1.3% weaker at $45,500. Around Asian stock markets this morning, uh, it's all looking to the downside. The SX200 in Australia is off a third of a percent. Stocks have just opened in Japan, where the Nikkei 225 is down 1.3%. Similar story in South Korea. Stocks there off 0.7% at the open. Uh, futures markets pointing to a decline of about 70 points for the Hang Seng later on this morning at the open. Times 8 or 8 and a half. Let's welcome our guests we have on the phone. Iris Pang, Chief Greater China Economist at ING Wholesale Banking. Morning to you, Iris. Morning, Peter. And also with us is Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone from the USA, we have Tony Nash, Founder and CEO and Chief Economist at Complete Intelligence. Welcome back, Tony. Thank you. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start in Shanghai. Um, a surge in local cases there. The city's reported 268 symptomatic cases, over 13,000 local asymptomatic cases. That's up almost 50% from the previous day. And the city remains in lockdown for mass testing. Um, it was supposed to have come out of testing uh, yesterday. A media outlet, Kaishin, has reported that close contacts of infected people will now be moved to neighbouring provinces. Um, Iris, this sounds, it's getting serious, isn't it? It's lasting a lot longer than we thought, this lockdown. Uh, the cases seem to be getting worse. Um, what are the consequences of this going to be on China's economy? Um, it is actually uh, quite long uh, uh, from my perspective. And because they also count the close contacts. So the number of people affected is is a large group. So these people cannot work because if the close contact is moved to another province, they cannot, they cannot work. And I believe that they are, they will be isolated. So um, it depends on now how many days they will be isolated. I believe that it will be at least 14 days. So um, almost the whole month of April is wiped out. So um, and Shanghai mm-hmm. is a big city, so it's wiped up around two percentage points of GDP. Two percentage points for for this quarter. Yeah, for this quarter. So that means that China's not going to meet its growth target of five and a half percent for this year, because Shanghai is what four percent of the country's GDP. 
Yeah, anyway, um, my forecast originally before this COVID outbreak is actually 4.8% lower than the targets of 5.5%. And now it is um, 4.3%, even lower. Jack, what, what are your thoughts on, on this and, and also in particular its impact on, um, on Chinese markets? Well, um, we have a less pessimistic forecast at Credit Suisse. We think in the second quarter GDP for <coughs> China, um, the Shanghai situation will knock off about 1.3% uh, to the quarterly GDP. But in a full annual GDP hit, uh, we calculated about 0.3% hit um, to the forecast. But the thing is, um, the situation is leading to the authority to come up with more stimulus and setback is, mm. um, I guess, um, I guess its tone, its regulatory crackdown. And um, so stimulus measures are coming to offset the situation right now. So if the current situation lasts for the next few weeks, uh, we do see some downside risk. So we are hopeful that uh, in a two to three months' time, uh, we will be returning back to normal. And this is exactly what we expect to happen in Hong Kong, which is about two months ahead of the mainland uh, in terms of the COVID situation. We, we haven't seen much signs of stimulus so far from the authorities. They seem to be fairly restrained. Do you think it's coming? Well, we, we have seen that uh, work issue policy for housing market has continued to relax. We have seen that the uh, listing rules for, uh, I guess, uh, U.S. listed companies have relaxed. Uh, we, we have seen that, uh, that the claim, the message from the central authority that they will reduce the uh, crackdown pressure on uh, tech companies. You know, there's a lot for the investors mm -hmm. to digest. Uh, we think we are hopeful that its impact, um, just lifting the crackdown itself, will add a 0.3% GDP. This is an indirect impact. It's hard to calculate. Mm. Uh, but we are quite hopeful. Uh, we, we are above consensus in the GDP forecast. We're still sticking to our 5.9% above consensus forecast for this year. Okay. And um, Tony, let me ask you for a sort of an international perspective on this, because obviously um, Shanghai is uh, China's largest port. There's a lot of factories there that are crucial to global sure. supply chains. Is this being noticed and talked about in the US? And, and how do you see it from there? Oh, sure it is. Yeah. Today, I, I was, uh, a friend told me that the Weigachau, uh bonded area at Shanghai Port was closed, I think, until April 11th because they found one COVID case. Um, and I think the view from here is uh, is very surprised because I live in Texas. We have been open since June of 2020, effectively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've had a lot of COVID cases and... Um, uh, business and life have pretty much gone on. Um, you know, people come to the office when they've tested positive for COVID. I know Texas is a little bit extreme, but from this side, the concern is the impact on supply chains. So obviously we have inflation with commodities, um, but the constrained supply of goods, uh, of manufactured goods, will you know, the secondary impacts of inflation that we would see in manufactured goods simply because of commodities inflation will be accentuated because of the bottlenecks uh, for manufacturing. So what I have been telling, recommending people in the West is that Western governments have to 
have a discussion with China to accept that COVID is endemic. That but, has to be accepted for the health of the global global economy. But they don't seem um, to want to discuss that, do they? I mean, no, they, they are sticking they, adamantly with this, what they call dynamic zero plan. Right. But it's, Peter, it's, uh, countries cannot live this way and societies cannot stay locked down this way. And the global economy will have that double accelerator of inflation if, uh, manufacturing bottlenecks continue. I mean, we already have a double accelerator, but it will accelerate even more. So you talked about the Fed activity, you know, the Fed, you know, potentially a, an intermeeting rise <clears throat> and the 50 basis point rise in May and June is becoming more likely. Um, and you can't necessarily offset supply side shocks with monetary policy. All they mm -hmm. can really do is demand destruction. And so with Brainard talking about both interest rate rises and reducing the balance sheet, the Fed is really focused on demand destruction, and they're going to have to accelerate that if China remains closed. Mm -hmm. So I believe that behind closed doors, Western governments are having discussions with China saying, look, you have to accept this as endemic because most of the rest of the world already has. Iris, do, do you agree with that? Do you think uh, this zero COVID policy that's being maintained on the mainland is, is not going to be sustainable? And if it does, it's not only going to damage China's economy, but it's going to damage the global economy. I think it is not a question for, for us. It is a question for the Chinese uh, government. Back in the two sessions in early March, there was a signal that um, the government... Uh, seems to decide to move away from dynamic, dynamic clearing because mm -hmm. they didn't mention it in the two sessions and the government's work report. But then the outbreak in Hong Kong makes them really worried. And therefore, uh, for example, in Shenzhen before Shanghai, um, the government moved very swiftly to have a mass test and then... Uh, uh, broken the, the infection link. But Shanghai is a bigger city than Shenzhen and can't escape from this. So I think it is the willingness of the central government to move away from their idealistic um, dynamic clearing. It seems that they are not because of several things that is different uh, between China and the western side of the world. The first thing and the most important thing is the capacity of hospital. China's capacity of hospital per capita is actually very low. Mm. So um, in such cases, health, life is more important than economic growth. Jack, this is all coming at a, a difficult time because just as we're seeing uh, this slowdown mm. on the mainland, we're also getting talk of even more aggressive interest rate rises from the Fed. Markets are pricing in now nine rate rises, nine quarter point rate rises this year, which means there's going to have to be some half point rate increases. We had Lau Brenard last night talking about an aggressive reduction in the balance sheet. Is this <coughs> going to start uh, to affect stocks? It already okay. is clearly on the bond markets, but do you think this is going yeah. to start to affect stocks? Well, uh, number one, on the previous topic, uh, you know, I think China is fully aware of the situation that it cannot live in a zero COVID strategy forever. What we are waiting for is the availability of treatments such as 
Paxlovid, which is an approved mm. drug for onshore China. Uh, when the supply of drugs become widely available to a mainland hospital or healthcare system, uh, which would likely uh, at the beginning of the year end or beginning of next year, uh, we will have a gradual shift to lift with COVID uh, in 2023. This is our forecast, uh, number one. And number two, in terms of rate hikes, um, the Fed is expected to hike rates by 50 basis points, in our view, in an early May meeting, and followed by another 125 basis point by year end, and then another 100 basis point by next year, subject to the development of uh, Russia's uh, Ukraine situation and whether there is a uh, rate hike related hit to the economy uh, that would lead to uh, less consumption in the United States. So these are very concerning mm-hmm. uh, factors to consider because if I think about my, you know, mortgages in Hong Kong, uh, which is linked to the Fed rate, um, if mortgage rate increased by another 150 mm-hmm. basis points in Hong Kong, uh, that would, if say you have a mortgage of 5 million Hong Kong dollars, that's 875,000, I mean, 875, mm-hmm. 87,000 Hong Kong dollars this year. It, the money that's been given out to the population is only 10,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, the consumption mm-hmm. impact uh, is definitely a concern in, in terms of how it's going to hit economy. But in terms of investment, right, we have to focus on areas that is not really driven by consumers. Like in China, we have an infrastructure-led policy that where we do see earnings rising uh, in related sectors. In the new energy sector, we do see earnings rising because of the global, global transition in the green energy. And in terms of global investment, uh, we do see in the short term, U.S. equities can go higher. But I guess mm-hmm. beyond that, uh, we have to be very selective in this sector strategy because uh, the, the banks are going to be beneficiaries of rising interest rates and uh, high inflation. Mm. The energy companies, uh, we, we think oil price will remain above 100 this year, and therefore they will be, still be profitable. And we have to be invested in SME sectors where because they are able to reprice, mm. because inflation pressure is coming. At the same time, as business we open in the West, uh, they are able to charge slightly higher price on the back of high inflation, and they can do that. Mm-hmm. And those companies will be more profitable than the last couple of years. So okay. we have to be selective when investing in this new environment we're in. Okay, Tony, um, let me ask you about Lael Brenard's comments um, overnight. She's talking about an aggressive reduction in the balance sheet. She seems to be suggesting that she supports now 50 basis point rate hikes. We've obviously seen a big reaction over the last couple of weeks in the bond markets to this idea that the Fed is going to get more aggressive, not really so much in stocks, maybe today uh, more concerned. But do you think at some point uh, investors are going to have to take more notice of just how aggressive the Fed is talking at the moment? Oh, absolutely. And I think I think Brennard's speech today was an important milestone because Lowe Brennard is seen as a an uber dove. Uh, in the Fed. She is seen as uh, not wanting to get bullish at all. So when she comes out with a speech like she did today, talking about rate rises in QT, at the rate that she was discussing today, people have to sit up and notice because she is probably at the extreme end of dovish of uh, the Fed, um, the Fed group. So um, so I think people are finally starting to realize that this is serious. You know, in January, if somebody would have said 
um, you know, that we'd see 50 basis point rises in May and June, you, you know, you would have been laughed out of a room mm-hmm. uh, and QT on top of that. But, you know, things have changed really quickly on the inflation front. And uh, the Treasury is pushing very hard to have some action taken on inflation because it's an election year in the U.S., and uh, they don't want to see double-digit inflation going into uh, elections in November. Okay. Iris, we seem to be facing a, a trifecta of shocks at the moment, don't we? We have the Fed talking a lot more aggressively. We have the Ukraine war. Uh, which is creating uh, a global supply problem and the slowdown in, in China as well. This is all coming together at a bad time. Yeah, you're right. But um, for China itself, the economy, I think the the most important thing for this time is whether to control COVID successfully within a t- short time frame. So I expect it only affects April. Hopefully it don't expect, it doesn't expect May because the long holiday in May. And, um, and I am also looking for stimulus, um, but not those uh, mentioned by Jack. I'm looking for stimulus in infrastructure uh, projects so that um, that could be really fast kickoff of the growth again. Jack, switching topics, I want to ask you about uh, U.S. listed Chinese uh, stocks. Chinese authorities look like they're preparing to give U.S. regulators full access to the audit reports uh, in the hope that that will keep them mainly listed in uh, in the U.S. The CSRC confirmed it's going to change confidentiality laws that prevents its overseas listed companies from providing sensitive financial information to foreign regulators. How big a, a game changer is this, and is this supportive for, for Chinese markets? I think this is um, very supportive and quite positive uh, to the Chinese equity market in general, uh, because um, removing the the listing risk for two third, more than two third of the company listed in the United States, suggests that uh, the selling pressure in these equities will substantially reduce because the listing risk no longer exists for most of them. <clears throat> Secondly, um, the market will begin to price out the, the listing or regulatory risk premium from both the U.S. and the China side. In other words, um, the discount we've been seeing in these stocks in the last uh, one year or so uh, will continue to reduce. And now we are left with whether earnings can continue to rebound in the current environment because despite this risk premium that's being removed, what we've seen is um, the valuation of these companies have been increasing, but the earnings of these companies have not been increasing and not been revised higher. So what we are looking for now is uh, there is probably more room, more upside for valuation of these companies to rise further, uh, but investors have to be aware uh, if in the next couple of quarters, uh, earnings do not uh, start stabilizing or rebounding, um, then there may be an opportunity to take some profit uh, after the rebound. Uh, for now, uh, we think there's more upside. Uh, we think the Hang Seng Tech Index, which is the main beneficiary listed in Hong Kong, uh, are, are likely a better investment than the Hang Seng Index itself. Tony, I'm, I'm wondering out here, as you've heard there from Jack, people are taking quite a positive view of this. That's going to be quite supportive of stocks. But I'm wondering 
Oh, if investors here may be getting ahead of themselves because we still don't know yet what the view of US regulators is on this. I know it's hard to, to look into their minds, but do you think there's enough here to satisfy them? Yeah, I think you're right to be cautious, Peter. Um, you know, I think it is getting a little bit ahead of itself now, but also the large US portfolio managers uh, that I've talked to um, have said that they've been told that they must be very cautious with investments in China. Uh, so if that is happening among the large uh, portfolio managers in the U.S., then this change could be helpful, but I don't necessarily see it clearing the way for a massive kind of acceleration of valuations of Chinese companies. The best thing I think the best thing that can happen for Chinese companies, for example, in tech is a big stimulus that's going to funnel funnel money into tech um, that would help valuation. So investors, say, in the West could see that those profits, as Jack talked about, are actually coming in to match some of the revenue rises. Um, But while the regulatory aspects will help, I don't necessarily see that they will provide a major thrust of investment Mm. uh, from American portfolio managers. And also uh, the companies themselves under these rules have to decide what is sensitive information and what can't be handed over to U.S. regulators. So there's still pressure on them. That's right. That's right. And it's political, right? Yeah. You know, what sensitive information is very political. <laughs> yeah. Iris, how do you see this? Mm, I have no comment on this. Okay. All right. Um, let me ask you, Tony, while you're here, as a, as a final thought, let me ask you about Twitter. Um, we've seen this 30% share uh, share price jump in two days now after Elon Musk said his, he owns 9.2% of the company. He's just been appointed to the board. Interestingly, when he ticked his box on the regulatory filing, um, he indicated he was a passive investor in Twitter. Do you believe that? Well, what's what's in his mind? Why does he want to do this? I, I think... I, yeah, please go, go on. on. I'm sorry, Iris. All right, thank you. I think it is it is very difficult to, to, to find evidence of anything that uh, has happened, right? Unless we have the CCTV to, to check again. So um, it is it is very interesting that um, uh, a CEO is saying something like that, mm. and it it also means that if it is true, then it is it is uh, more more careless um, uh, action. And if it is um, if it is wrong, then what's behind it? It is he is he could be. Um, maybe have some other intention that we don't know. Mm. So um, I, I would rather stay away from it. Uh, Tony, final word to you on this. What, what, what do you think is in his mind here? Is he really a passive investor? Um, I, uh, well, I think he'll be very active in terms of his board position. And mm. I think there are a group of technology entrepreneurs, Mark Andreessen, um, Elon Musk, other people, who are becoming more aggressive in trying to pull tech away from a political alignment. Tech in the U.S. is seen as being very, say, leftward aligned. Mm -hmm. And I think some of these guys who have a more middle ground view are trying to pull tech back to the middle. Twitter has been very left aligned, um, blocking Donald Trump and a lot of people on the right. And I think these guys 
understand that if they want to have viable products for half of America, they have to move back toward the middle. And I think this is the first action of what could be many over the next couple of years to try to pull these companies back toward the political middle. Okay, well, thank you very much for your comments. You heard there Tony Nash, founder and CEO and chief economist at Complete Intelligence, Iris Pang, chief Greater China economist at ING Wholesale Banking, and Jack Su, chief investment officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this morning. In Australia, the SX200 down a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off about one and a quarter percent. The Cosby is also down in South Korea, uh, around about two thirds of a percent. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 70 points at the open. Coming up after the news on Radio 3, COVID update with Jim Gordon and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast for today. Fine, hot and dry during the day. Maximum temperature of about 28 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be mainly fine and dry in the next few days. Hot during the day. Temperature right now is 21 degrees and it's 80% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shorsky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Professor John Burns from the University of Hong Kong says the chief executive's decision to not seek a second term was well expected. Carrie Lam has had a very hard time, a very difficult five years. She started off with great promise, but by 2019, we had the chaos in Hong Kong, which the government is partially responsible for and has has yet to accepted responsibility for that. I think the central government was not happy with that. And then we have the management of COVID. A spokesman for the restaurant trade says he's concerned that it won't benefit from the latest round of consumption vouchers, which will be released tomorrow, as social distancing curbs on eateries are still in place. Last year, eateries took a third of the share of vouchers, said the president of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trade, Simon Wong. But this year, with restaurants only allowed to seat two people per table and with dine-in not allowed after 6 p.m., Mr. Wong expected that figure to fall. And this time, I uh, assume that because of the social distancing measures, we can only uh, get about um, 15% um, of uh, of the share. And uh, we we still have to wait until uh, the second round um, of this uh, lifting of the social distancing measures. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has told the UN Security Council Moscow must be held accountable for the atrocities committed by the Russian army during its occupation. Mr. Zelensky showed a short graphic video which included pictures of victims in mass graves and called for Russia to be excluded from the Security Council. The BBC's Nonatovic reports. President Zelensky's address to the council was devastating. He said the most terrible crime since the Second World War had been committed in Ukraine. Civilians in Bucha were killed in their homes, crushed by tanks, women raped and killed in front of their children. He accused Russia of deliberately killing as many civilians as possible to leave the country destroyed and in ruins, which Moscow denies. He urged reforms for a more effective UN for the next generation. More than 10 million people have now fled their homes in Ukraine because of the Russian military campaign. 
and further accounts of devastation and allegations of possible war crimes are emerging from areas of Ukraine from which Russian troops have withdrawn. Police in the town of Borodyanka, to the northwest of capital Kiev, said there could be hundreds of people trapped in the rubble beneath bombed-out blocks of flats. Local people claim that Russian troops fired at those who attempted to dig out the victims. The news from RTHK.